Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of grace, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather here together and worship you. We ask now that you would open up our ears to hear and soften our hearts that we would receive what you have for us in your word, or that you would be glorified by what is preached, and that your people would be edified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to preach out of Luke, but I feel like first we need a moment of silence for the poor guy whose parents named him Shaphet. If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. Picture this. It's Sunday, July 6th, 1924. And the Olympics in Paris are well underway. The next event is the 100-meter dash. The athletes are shaking out their last nerves and doing a few more practice starts, and the referee calls them to their starting block. Anybody who's ever ran a race before knows this feeling, this feeling of anticipation, this almost sinking feeling into your gut as you see the referee walk up with his gun preparing to sound the blast for you to begin your race. Try to calm yourself. Try to calm your breathing and focus. Hard to focus when it feels like it all comes down to this. Your heart starts beating faster and faster, and those seconds seem longer and longer. And you wonder, is this guy ever going to blast his gun? Can I just get this over with? And finally, the gun sounds, and you're off. In the case of the 100-meter dash, that race lasts mere seconds. In this instance, U.S. athlete Harold Abrahams was the fastest, fastest athlete that day with a time of 10.6 seconds. That's wild. Unbelievable. He was favored to win the gold medal the next day in the finals. Well, if you're sitting here as a spectator, let's imagine that somehow over the noise of the competitors and over the shouts of the crowd, you hear church bells off in the distance. And you notice that somebody's missing from that heat. Well, not so far off, Scottish athlete Eric Liddell stands up and moves forward to receive communion. Eric Liddell had refused to race on Sunday because he wanted to keep the Lord's Day. Now, it cost him an Olympic gold medal in the event that he had trained so hard to do, but he knew, unlike Harold Abrahams, who had quoted, who is quoted to have said, my whole existence comes down to this. This race, whether I win or lose, defines my existence. Eric Liddell knew his existence was justified in his creator, the triune God. Well, the Olympics weren't over for Eric Liddell. He went on to run a race that didn't compete on Sundays, and one he didn't even train for, the 400-meter dash. And he went on to win the gold medal. The story is significant for us this morning because Eric Liddell's life is a story about counting the cost of discipleship. He reminds us with this decision that whether that cost is popularity or promotion, whether it's comfort or an Olympic gold medal, there is a cost to discipleship, and that cost is ultimately everything. And it has everything to do with the passage we're going to read today, Luke 9, 51 to 62. 
But before we dive in, let's get a little context and get caught up. If you weren't here with us last week, uh, when the bishop visited, we read out of Luke 9, 19 to 24. The theme is very similar. It's the cost of discipleship, which is appropriate because we celebrated confirmation and first communion, two milestones, external milestones of an internal reality of a conviction for discipleship. Well, in that passage, we see that famous confession of Peter who says, Jesus, you truly are the Christ. And then uh, Jesus goes on to define what the response is to that confession. If you make that confession and mean it, there's a cost to that discipleship. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, next week we will continue on this theme of discipleship and on this journey to the cross in Luke 10, 1 through 20. Luke is always having us on this journey to the cross. He's always bringing us to the crescendo of the gospel story, the crucifixion, but ultimately victory over sin. Well, let's take a look at this first verse in our passage this morning. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. As we're journeying through Luke throughout this year, it's interesting to note that even as we move away from Easter and move into this time we fondly call ordinary time, we never get away from that gospel centrality, right? From the journey to Jerusalem, to the cross. Because we are reminded in the gospel and in our church calendar, which never takes us away from the gospel, that our life's rhythm and root is found in the hope we have here. And we look at that phrase, when he, the days drew near for him to be taken up. That word literally means ascension. So Luke is keeping that gospel theme and saying, when the days drew near for him to be play on words, crucified, taken up in that way, but also taken up into heaven where he is victorious with the Father. He's reminding us it all comes down to that crescendo, to the cross and to victory over sin. Verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Jesus was offering his gospel to the Gentiles, right? To the us's of the world, and not just any us's here, but to the Samaritans, a group of people the Jews hated. But they respond to this message by rejecting him. Maybe for several reasons, but think about what he's saying, right? Come follow me, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Well, that's not very fun. That's a heavy cost. The cost of discipleship was too high for them, and so they do reject him and his gospel. And then we have the two spitfires of the disciple group, James and John, who respond in a very interesting way. In verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. You know, you got to love James and John, but you definitely don't want to be on their bad side. They're like, Jesus, they don't like you. Burn them all. Burn them all. Well, they're so passionate. Yeah, that's great. They're passionate about the Lord, but their passion is misplaced. 
Because what are they anticipating? What are they following? Well, they're following somebody who's talking about a kingdom. They want a kingdom, but they want a kingdom that looks a little bit more like the earthly kingdom. What happens when you reject a king? Well, they typically respond with violence or aggression. Kings don't like to be rejected. But Jesus says in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. They were passionate to be sure. But James and John had a misplaced passion, one that had them forget what they were doing to begin with, who they were following to begin with. They wanted to proclaim their message of control here, right? Well, they rejected you, so get rid of them. Jesus was proclaiming a free message of the gospel, that the kingdom is at hand and to come and follow Jesus. They're not supposed to be innovators or go off the grid. They follow the message of Jesus, and we are called as Christians to do the same thing. So here we are. They're rejected by this village of Samaritans, but they're not done with their journey. After their rejection, Jesus and the Twelve continue their journey to Jerusalem. And on their way, Luke records for us three separate encounters where Jesus engages what we will call would-be disciples. In each of these conversations, Jesus forces the would-be disciples to count the cost before they follow him, to really think this through, what it's going to cost you, which makes perfect sense, right? We're humans. We act on impulse. We like to just jump in and do things and be all in without considering the consequences. Well, self-deprecating personal example. When I was in college, you know, I got on a bit of a tattoo kick, and I spent some time sitting there and drawing out this tattoo idea and trying to figure out what it would look like, you know, drawing it, messing with it, thinking about it. And I came up with this idea of a, of a cross with Luke 9.23 inscribed inside. We just talked about it, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, it didn't seem like a bad idea, but the irony is in how I went about doing it. So on impulse, not making an appointment, I take my little sheet of paper with my sketched tattoo idea, and I walk into the tattoo parlor. Say, here's my idea. Go and sit down on the seat and get ready to go. If you've never gotten a tattoo before, let me tell you, you do not want to be alone with your thoughts in that chair for very long. It didn't take long for me to start second-guessing everything. Like, this is going to be on my body forever. This might hurt. (laughs) Do I really want to do this? So as I'm there, alone and afraid, with my thoughts, I start to shift a little bit. And I turn to the artist over my head and say, you know what, on second thought, I don't think I'm going to... Too little, too late. (laughs) See, I thought I had thought this through. I really did. But once it came down to actually following through, I realized I hadn't really considered the implications at all. Well, the same could be true about these would-be disciples. They want to be all in. They're excited about what they're hearing, but there's some hesitancy there. And each of them is faced in this engagement with Jesus, with a different cost of their discipleship, which I believe are common obstacles for us today. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. Following Jesus is inconvenient. 
and following Jesus is all-consuming. Look with me at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, it goes without saying that if you're going to follow somebody, you're going to walk the same road as them, right? That's what that word literally means here. I will walk the same road as you, Lord, which is a noble claim considering that Jesus' road leads to Jerusalem and ultimately to his crucifixion. Well, how does Jesus respond to this audacious claim? Verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is a challenge to this would-be disciple. The path of following Jesus is not easy. Yes, he's proclaiming a kingdom, but he's proclaiming a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom this world has ever seen. It's a kingdom that is not luxurious here on earth. It's a kingdom that comes at a great cost. Because following Jesus is uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I'm like Goldilocks when it comes to AC. It can't be too hot. It can't be too cold. It has to be just right. And not only does this idea of being uncomfortable spit in the face of our sensibilities, but it really spits in the face of much of popular preaching today. Think about it. Self-interest, right? Common sense says look out for number one. Common sense says if it's going to hurt you, if it's going to be uncomfortable, don't do it. Well, that is also not <laughs> what the kingdom of God is about, not about being comfortable. And that reality spits in the face of much of popular preaching today. If you've ever heard somebody tell you, on the pulpit or anywhere else, that if you just have enough faith, you will have money, you will have things, follow Jesus, and you will be healthy and wealthy. If you just have enough faith, you can live your best life now. Sounds great, but it's a lie. Following Jesus is not that way. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. And while he challenges this would-be disciple and the next two, their responses aren't recorded by Luke. We are left to wonder, what did they decide? Well, no matter what decision was ultimately made, each of these engagements cuts to the core of what is holding back these would-be disciples and what is often holding us back, and encourages them and us to truly count the cost. Continue on to verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, the first would-be disciple seemed to have uh, initiated the conversation about discipleship with Jesus. But Jesus walks up to this guy, as it's recorded in Luke, and says, follow me. The response is hesitancy. The response is reluctance. Now, honoring your parents is a good thing, right? We can agree with that. It's in the scriptures. Honor your parents, kids. I'm looking at you. I get you on Mondays. So we are called to honor our parents. Jesus would have agreed with that and with the culture at large. Good thing. And making sure that your parents are properly honored at their death would be honoring to them, right? But this man is making an excuse. You see, the process that he's referring to in burying his parents takes a year. 
you would inter the body in a tomb until it was nothing but bones. Retrieve the bones and put them in a box for safekeeping. See, he's buying time here. It's as if this would-be disciple is saying, I will follow you, Lord, but let me get my life together first. Let me figure out some things first, and then I'll follow you. Jesus' response is a shocking message to that culture and to ours, that following Jesus is more important than literally anything else we have going on in our lives. Following Jesus is inconvenient. Consider the excuses that we make today. You know, well, sports and work and leisure, and I want to do these things. I need time for them. I want to do these things because they're convenient for me, because they bring me to success. We're all about convenience, and this really cuts to the core of our life here in suburbia, doesn't it? We love convenience so much, we won't even stand in line at Starbucks for 10 minutes anymore. Now we place a mobile order, and then we wait for 30 minutes in the drive-thru because everybody else placed a mobile order. Inconvenience for the sake of convenience, your coffee's cold, and now you have to wait for another one. We're so weird. <laughs> you see, when we, when we decide that anything else in our lives can take precedence over following Jesus, we're not being discipled. And I get it, this is hard for all of us, right? If we do things that are convenient to us, what's the often result? We are successful. We get to taste success. We want success. We want our kids to have success. And that's a good thing. But I want to propose to you that true success is found when we allow our lives to be interrupted and inconvenienced by God. The reality is, there's a less than 1% chance that any of our kids are ever going to play professional sports, but there is a 100% chance that they and we are going to stand before the throne of God and give an account for how we spent our lives. Well, let's reorient our priorities to fit this reality. Following Jesus is inconvenient. How does Jesus respond to this inconvenience would-be disciple? Well, we alluded to it already, but verse 60 says, And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's hard to tell in the English, but Jesus is being kind of punny here. It's like the first recorded dad joke, you know. When he says, leave the dead, he's referring to both physically and spiritually dead. Think about those good things we just talked about. We have, we have family, we've got sports, we've got work, we've got leisure. All these good things become dead things when they're not placed at the feet of Jesus. None of these goods are any longer good when they're honored or enjoyed at the expense of following Jesus and placing him first. Jesus is calling this would-be disciple to give up all things for the gospel. And he calls us, each of us, to do the same. We don't know how this guy responded, like we said earlier. It's not recorded. But it leaves us to ask ourselves, how would we respond? How do we respond? Let's continue. Verse 61, yet another said, 
I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Well, there it is again. I will follow you, but how many times do we say this ourselves? I will follow you, Lord. Oh, I, I will go to church and worship you with your people, Lord, at some point. But first this, but first that. These things take priority. But no, don't worry. You're a close second, and I'll be there when I'm able. You see, the prophet Elijah, in the passage we read in the Old Testament earlier, allowed for Elisha to go back and say, bye, guys. You know, I'm going with this weird dude through a cloak over my head, and now it's time for me to go. But Jesus doesn't permit that here. Jesus is teaching us that the cost of discipleship is to be willing to give up everything else at any time for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose book, The Cost of Discipleship, is the namesake of our sermon this morning, German pastor and conspirator against Nazi Germany, once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The cost of discipleship is all-consuming. Jesus says so in verse 62. Let's take a look. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody here use a tractor mower? One of those rider mowers? Yeah? What happens when you look away, even just for a second? Take the whole thing with you! And you careen into whatever's in front of you. And my parents have a lot of demolished apple trees in their backyard that says this has been very true in my experience. If we allow other things to distract us, if we allow other things to become more important to us, then following Jesus right here and right now, we veer off course too. It's easy to recite the creeds. They're in your bulletin. It's easy to say we are Christians. It's a two-syllable word, and we're all, uh, you know, like kind of intelligent here. Not speaking for myself, though. It is quite another, though, to truly be Christians, to truly follow Jesus. You know, our goal here at Christ Church West, our vision is not to be a country club with good programs, great fun for the whole family. Our goal is to be a church that makes disciples, which means we have to come together, being sold out for the gospel, sold out for Jesus Christ, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then what could possibly be more important than following him? But if we don't believe he is who he says he is, or we don't take that seriously, then it begs the question, why come here? Why, get a, why take communion if it doesn't mean anything? It's just a dispensation of goods and services, unless the cost of discipleship is something we're willing to pay. Following Jesus is all-consuming. Eric Liddell is best known for that story we spoke of earlier, the decision not to run the Olympics 100-meter dash on a Sunday to keep the Lord's Day. But his story doesn't end there. After the Olympics, uh, Eric Liddell and his family decided to go to China and be missionaries. They stayed there for almost two decades, but in the onset of World War II, with the Japanese army advancing through China, they were forced 
to make a difficult decision. Do I stay or do I go? Eric Liddell chose to stay. And in 1943, when China was overrun by the Japanese army, Eric Liddell was taken captive. About a year later, due to starvation and deteriorating health, Eric Liddell died in a Japanese prison camp. We remember him for the 100-meter dash, his decision not to run it. And we remember him for being in a Japanese prison camp because he chose to stay for the gospel and died because of that decision. But his discipleship and ours is not a one-act play and it's not an overnight decision. Our discipleship is a life of choosing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, to say, I don't care what the world says matters, I know what matters, and it's Jesus Christ. See, unless we actually become disciples, why call ourselves disciples? Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not works-based salvation. The commonality of these would-be disciples was not their behavior. Their commonality was their hearts. It was what they decided mattered the most. There was a higher love in their lives they weren't willing to let go of that was higher than Jesus. Unless we have Jesus as our highest love, unless he's worth more than our sports and our work and our leisure and our time, unless we truly repent and believe the gospel, we don't have an incentive to take up our cross and follow Jesus no matter the cost. Why would you unless you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, what do we do with this? In American suburbia, we might not be called to literally die for the sake of the gospel. But we are definitely, all of us, called to live for it. So here's a challenge I have for each of us. Take a few seconds right now and think about what is that thing that we have allowed to be more important than the gospel? What is that thing we have decided means more to us than gathering together and worshiping the Lord together as his people and taking time to disciple our families to be Christians who take up their crosses and follow Jesus. Just take a minute and think about that. Do you have that thing in your mind? Well, if you do, let's take that thing, which is now an idol, and exchange it for a cross. The cost of discipleship is to say, I love these things, they're great, but they are not worth sacrificing my discipleship over. And if you're like me, I get it, this is difficult. Giving up your idols is a hard thing to do. So keep these two things in mind. We don't have to do it alone. And there is grace to cover our imperfections. Be a part of this community. We're sinner saints. I don't got my life together. I know you don't. Not because you're, I'm better than you, but because I'm the same as you. That's what church is for. We walk this journey together. And let's allow our imperfections in this aspect of discipleship and in all aspects of our lives to remind us just how rich and how beautiful 
the free grace that comes by faith in Christ really is. The cost of discipleship is everything. But it is worth giving up everything to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for your grace and for your gospel and the hope we have in you. Have mercy on us when we put something above you and be with us as we seek to honor you and give you the glory and walk this journey of discipleship together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.